when I say the words to you, a really good friend, I think some things come to mind, right? And Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, tells us, there's, I wanna just blow through five Proverbs really quick that really give a definition to a really good friend. A good friend is faithful. Proverbs 27.10 says it this way, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a, fr- a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. There's also also a good friend who is there in adversity. And Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Then we jump over to a good friend sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24, one who who has unreliable friends will soon come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A good friend always tells the truth. Proverbs 27, verse six. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Oh, like hide that one. That is really good. I love that one. That one really always, I I hold on to that because I think there's just a real truth to it um, because a friend will always do the tough thing. A good friend lifts you up and they encourage you. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. It's pretty easy to define and to know what a good friend is. But I wanna flip to the inverse. I wanna look at it from another angle. I wanna look at it from this angle. A really lame friend Ever had one of those? Yeah, you have. And here's the thing. There's a few people who could say, I've been a really lame friend to them. We've all had lame friends, and we've all been lame friends. There's friendships I lament because I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't, um, I I was selfish or self-centered. I wasn't always a good friend in all my relationships. So we can look and talk about a really lame friend. But here's the thing I want to do today. I want to tell you a story of an incredible, Incredibly lame friend who I would say failed on all accounts to a good friend of his. It's hard to listen to this and 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 not feel uneasy because this this person who betrayed their friend was raised up by them. They were in a go nowhere career. And they weren't gonna be ever known or heard of or anything, but this person raised them up to a place of, I would say, to a place of great honor. They didn't know how high the honor was that they had been given. And um, when, the, when the opportunity came, they talked really big game, you know? I hear people talk a really big game sometimes. They'll say stuff like, I've never quit or I won't quit on you. I'm here, I'm, I'm these different things. And they talk this big game. And this guy was one of those. He talked a really big game. He had a, you know, kind of an alligator mouth and a canary's, you know, legs. He didn't have any backup to it. Because when his friend needed him, he ran away. He ran away. And then, even worse than that, when his friend was all alone and standing before people who wanted to kill him, he denied him. Hey, do you, weren't you with that guy who's on trial right now? No, he said, I don't know the man. Another person, hey, you're a Galilean. You know this guy, this guy who's on trial. You know him, right? No, I've never heard of the guy. Another person says, I've seen you with him, and he swore at them. He cursed at them and says, I do not know that man. He's a lame friend, and his friend would go on to die 
an excruciating death. And he wouldn't be there. He wouldn't be there when his friend was dying. He wouldn't comfort him in, in his dying moments. And even worse than all that, after his friend Jesus had been nailed to a cross and died and buried and put in a tomb on that dark Friday afternoon, he went back to his old life, kind of meandered back to the fishing ports, started working as he always had done. He wandered back into his old life. And it's a really sad testimony of a lame friend. Have you ever had a lame friend? What we can learn from scripture is this, about our relationships with others and specifically our friends is what is a true friend and when it comes to being a true friend, are we willing to do that? We look at this story and the first thing we can learn is that um, we can't really be a great friend at least not on our own. There's something in us that um, we may want to, we may talk a good game, we even may pull it off once in a while. But in the long haul, in the long arc of life, we can't be a good friend on our own. We need something else. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's nothing certain in life except for death and taxes? I think that's a pretty encouraging note to preach on today. Trust me, death and taxes, they're coming for you, right? There's the only certainty in this life. And when we talked um, this past e e Easter, excuse me, weekend, we talked about how when sin entered humanity through Eve and Adam in the garden, it infected our very DNA. It poisoned us. It changed our nature. We went from a people devoted to God to a people opposed to him. Our nature became sinful. All life became a journey to death. What a great and encouraging sermon this may be right now. But hold on. That's not the end of the story. It's not what has to happen. What if our life can be a journey, can become a journey from life unto life? What if our life now springs to life eternal in the presence of God? See, we only had half the story. We end up telling um, only half the story when it comes to being saved. And when we look about it, and when we look at it and we understand that uh, we're, we talk about taking off our old life, like in the Colossians passage, and, and really that's talking about salvation. You are saved and you put on the very nature, the righteousness of Christ. We talk about these things and I think it's important. Colossians 3, um, 8 and 9 says this, but now you must also rid yourself of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So when we look at that, we can realize that we are putting something away and we are putting something on. There is this newness. So we celebrate, celebrate being, um, there's a terrible slip, celebrate. Um, we, we celebrate this being separated from our sinful nature and being given a brand new set of righteous robes, right? We're, we're made righteous in the image of God. We celebrate being sin, free from a sinful life. But here's the thing, being forgiven and being redeemed is wonderful and freeing and the burden is cut free. But often we stop short 
we stop short. We read this um, Colossians 3, 8, and 9, right, where we take off our old self with all its practices and we forget to look at verse 10. And we've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Look closely at this. You put on the new self. So you're saved, but now you're putting on the new self. We are brand new, which is being renewed, continually renewed. This is, um, I think it's, uh, I'm super, not a mathematician. No one's surprised at that. But, um, but I think pi is one of those numbers that runs on in infinity, right? It just goes on, and, and this renewal is like that. It's one of those ongoing numbers that just keeps going. Our renewal is continual. It's not just a one-time renewal. All our sin is forgiven, yes, but there is a renewal of us that begins to take place that we need to lean into. It is not that you realize how sinful you are, get new clothes from Jesus, and then try really hard not to mess them up, right? I don't know about you, but when I was little, um, sometimes, uh, I remember when I was very little, I had a suit for church, which was awesome, and it was gray, and I looked awesome in it, and I had a little clip-on tie, and the, the message was always the same. Buddy, don't get dirty. And what would I do? Oh, I got so dirty. I love me to play when I was little. Playing in the dirt and different things. Um, there's a great story about me and some fire ants. I sat on a pile of fire ants. I just wasn't clean as a child. I like to play and get dirty. And here's the thing. Um, when I was little and I would get dirty in that, my mom would clean it. But, but I, I lived in fear of, not, not in fear, but I didn't want to get it dirty. But I had this, this kind of pulling in me to go and play. And here's what I know in this. When we look at ourselves, we receive Christ's righteousness like a garment over our life. And we can, as Christians, be like, okay, I cannot get this thing messy. I, I have to. And we feel like we can't. Um, we, that we're not forgiven both presently and that Christ's blood flows ahead and forgives us of all sin. We're going to make mistakes. You're not trying hard not to just mess them up. You are given new robes to wear, and you, they are being renewed and renewed and renewed in the knowledge and in the image of their creator. You're not walking around trying not to mess up. You're walking around fully alive in your new nature. You're not worried that you're gonna tick God off. You're worried about pleasing the heart of God in the life you live. Your life takes on this, um, this renewed aspect. Every day it's renewed. It's renewed. Like ask your grandparents about the milkman when you were little. It was this crazy tradition where you would set out these glass bottles in a little carrier on your front porch and in the morning he would come, the milkman would come and pick them up and set four new little bottles down. Every day your bottles were renewed, right? That's what we're talking about. It's taking and the renewal, the constant renewal, the provision of God in Christ for us is complete. It happens at salvation, but it also happens in our renewal. Colossians 3.10, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. We say this a lot here. Let scripture interpret scripture. There is no better way to understand um, what God is saying than to let scripture speak 
and give wisdom to Scripture. It's the Word of God. So it's infinitely wise, and it will speak into itself and give us something to hold on to. So sometimes when I look at something and I wonder what it means, I will cross-reference it with different Scriptures to see if Scripture speaks a truth into it. And I haven't found an example where it doesn't. Scripture always speaks back. And so with the text we've been looking at is Colossians chapter three. Over the past seven weeks, we've been in Colossians chapter three. And um, it's this wonderful chapter in the book that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And, um, and at the beginning of this letter that Paul had written to the church in Colossae, there is, um, there is this scripture, Colossians one, verse nine. I believe it helps maybe interpret a little bit of what is being said in Colossians 3.10 for um, when it says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So if we say kind of what, what does that mean? Check this out, Colossians 1.9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, Paul said, we have not stopped praying for you and we continually, to ask, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding, this is it, that the Spirit gives, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God promised to us by Jesus himself, the Spirit of God, which when you look into the Greek of how Jesus defined the Spirit, is an advocate, a counselor, but a Spirit that that really gives itself one mandate to make clear and to illuminate who Jesus was, the accomplished work he did, and to renew us. He renews us. So when we look at this, we can ask the question, after reading that scripture, that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What kind of knowledge? What kind of knowledge are we looking for in this? Knowledge of God's will. Remember, I said last week, we want to please the heart of God, his desires becoming our desires. So the Spirit fills us with the knowledge of God's will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This is the renewal part, church. This is the part that comes alive. When you receive Jesus and your old nature is put to death, which baptism is the perfect example, you're baptized into the death of Christ in order to be raised up into new life eternal in Christ. Putting away anger, this is what it says in um, Colossians 3, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and lying to one another. And you put on the new self, which is Christ's righteousness. You are not earning your way into heaven. You've been given the gift of salvation, and you're putting on, think of... um, putting on Christ's robes, you are putting on his righteousness, you are putting on his clothing, and you are being seen in the lens of who he is, not who you are. You have been forgiven by him. He is given, donated, offered at great cost, you his righteousness. He has offered it to you. So if we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we get to learn, hear this. I feel like one thing that misses in the church so often is we feel like you become a Christian and whap, you have it all together. That's a lie. 
That's a lie. From glory to glory, he is growing us. He is changing us and transforming us by his power according to his will. So you get to learn to do God's will through all wisdom and the understanding that the Holy Spirit gives you. That's why I think it's so important that we who have a reformed theology, and the Foundry Church is in, we are reformed in our theology, and here's the thing, I think we have a robust and rich theology and understanding of God. I think it's the best thing I've ever come across. One of the problems, though, it can all exist up here. You can have this amazing intellectual framework for God and never actually let it drop into your heart and be felt because you know all these things, so you do them as though they're rote in your life. And here's the thing. If you're doing that, you're missing the opportunity to be transformed by the by the, what the Spirit of God is teaching you. The Spirit of God will teach you all wisdom. You will be renewed in the knowledge and image of your Creator by the Holy Spirit being in you and the Holy Spirit teaching you and helping you understand all wisdom. You are continually renewed. No matter how smart you may be and how much you may know of theology and the historical church and all these things, we cannot do the thing of being a friend to Christ or anyone else without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you may say to me, no, Eric, you're wrong. I walked closely with Jesus. So did Peter. No, Eric, you're wrong. I have served the Lord with my life. So did Peter. No, Eric, I have trusted Jesus, and I followed him, and and I know him closely. So did Peter. You may have it all between here, but the Holy Spirit does this thing that only the Spirit of God can do. He can take what we know and make it who we are. He brings it to life. I mean, in the very beginning of Scripture, it says the Spirit of God breathed life. The Ruach of God, the wind of God was breathed into the nostrils of mankind. We were brought to life. We're animated by the Spirit of God. Our Christian faith is animated. The righteous robes of Christ are animated when we who are filled with the Holy Spirit live for him. But when we who only know God in our heads, we prance around and with pomp and circumstance use big words to define a God we actually don't know. The Spirit of God takes what's here and moves it into a living place in us. Peter knew Jesus well. He walked with him intimately and closely for three years, and when the moment came, he betrayed him. He was a lousy, horrible friend, and I tell you this, I am not being um, irreverent towards the father of the church, right? Peter, the rock. I am not being irreverent. He would say yes and amen, because the next part is when we really get to see what the Spirit does. When Peter is removed... Are removed, when Peter is renewed, when he is renewed in his relationship with Jesus. We talked about him at the beginning, being this terrible friend who betrayed Jesus, the one who couldn't follow any of the advice in Proverbs. He didn't stick closer than a brother. He wasn't somebody Jesus could depend on. He wanted to be, he talked a good game, but as boxers would say, he looked tough, but he had a glass jaw. He fell at the first punch, the first sign of danger. He fled and he went back to his old life. It was terrible and it was sad, but here's the thing. There was a morning when Jesus infinitely loved 
loving and infinitely forgiving had rose from the dead and he went to Peter where Peter was back in his old life fishing and he pulled him aside and he talked with him and he restored him. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's words, hollow as they were, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter being hurt that this was asked a third time, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said, feed and tend my sheep. And he restored him. And Peter became the father of the church. Jesus had told him earlier in the Gospels, you can see a story where Peter confesses Christ in this um, miraculously spiritual way, and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven, and your, Simon was his name at the time, your name is no longer Simon, but it's Peter, which in, in, uh, in Greek means Petros, which is rock. And on, so his name is now Rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't be able to push against it. Peter became the rock. It's amazing. He became the father of the church. He lived a faithfully devoted life. He gave everything towards the gospel. And here's the thing, when he was put to be executed by the emperor Nero sometime between 63 and 67 AD, when he was put to death by Nero, he didn't see himself worthy to die in the same way Jesus did. So we asked him, turn my cross upside down. I am not worthy to die as my Lord did. He ran away from the the persecution of Jesus' trial. He ran, but what happened? The Spirit of God filled him. So let's look at the second half of the story. Let's look at the thing that changed everything. He had this knowledge of Jesus. He had an experience of Jesus, but now he was gonna get to know Jesus in a spiritual way. Something deep within him would be transformed. All this knowledge, all this experience would be informed by the movement and the power of the Spirit of God, breathing and moving new life in the church. Jesus' disciples were told, do not leave Jerusalem until the counselor, the advocate, my spirit comes in power. They were told this, and in Acts chapter two it says, they were all gathered together at the temple and they were praying. They didn't know what else to do. They were just waiting on God. And it was the feast, it was Pentecost, 50 days um, after uh, Jesus had been crucified. So we're sitting in this moment of Pentecost, a high holy day in the, on the Jewish calendar. There's some different um, feasts that were going on. I'm not gonna talk about that. But they're sitting there. The temple was full. A lot of people from around the world were there for this um, particular pilgrim feast weekend. And the Spirit of God rushed like a mighty wind woof, into the church. And all these believers are filled with the Spirit and tongues of fire descend and they begin declaring the wonders of God in other tongues, and Cretans and Arabs and Phoenicians and all these people are going, aren't these Galileans and why are they speaking fluently in our language? Some people said they are drunk and then, then Peter in front of everybody gets up. It's on the Temple Mount. The, the Antonian Fortress is there. It's a dangerous time to stand up and declare yourself a leader in such a movement and he stands up and he says, men of Israel, these are not drunk as you suppose. No, this is the very fulfillment of what was said in the book of Joel. And he would go on to give the great sermon on Pentecost. And he would use over 50% of his words were the Old Testament, Scripture, interpreting the fulfillment. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And you who crucified Christ need to be baptized. 
He called them to new life in Christ unapologetically. Something happened, and it was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God rattling within the dead and dry life of a man who knew Jesus but hadn't actually received the fullness of the gospel. We can't just hear about him. We must know him. We must know him, and we must let the Spirit of God disrupt our everyday ordinariness and transform it by the knowledge and understanding only the Spirit can give. Read all the books you want. The one thing that changes it is when the Spirit of God gives clarity to who Jesus is. Peter walked with him. John walked with him. They all walked with Jesus. But when the Spirit came, they understood Jesus. They understood who Jesus was. It was an out with the old and in with the new, renewed and renewed and renewed on into infinity. We are being remade and renewed in the knowledge and the image of our creator. How wonderful is that? Did you stop at just being forgiven? Did you get your salvation and think, well, I guess that's it? That's not it. The fullness of this life is here. It's like going to the airport, checking in and never boarding the plane. You want to go into this life of fullness? You've got to let the Spirit of God do the work, put on the new clothes, and be renewed continually by the Spirit of God into the image of our Creator. The Holy Spirit transforms us, not from life unto life to the full. He transforms what's going on in us to a fullness of understanding of that we are going from life into life eternal into life eternal, and that life is in the fullness of who Jesus is. Without the Spirit of God, we know this, that we can have a great knowledge of him, but we can never be changed on the inside. The only thing that changes what's on the inside is the Spirit of God revealing who Jesus Christ is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Or are you sitting in this place in your house going, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't want the walls to shake. I don't want things to happen. I don't know if I want the dry bones to rattle. I'm comfortable in this life. But what if God isn't comfortable in this life? What if on Pentecost Sunday, something tears loose? What if something happens again? What if the Spirit of God wants to move and what's resisting it is people who want to believe in Jesus-ish, but they don't want to lose their life. Lose your life. Put on the righteousness of Christ and be renewed day in and day out. Let the dry bones rattle. It's out of Ezekiel where God shows him a valley of dry bones and God brings back to life what was fully dead. You may be dead inside, but nothing, nothing, nothing will ever be impossible for the Spirit of God by the power of Jesus. Church, hear me when I say this. This is the thing that we must be. We are reformed through and through, but my goodness, we are Pentecostal. We are a church filled with the Holy Spirit, and if people want to speak in tongues, let the tongues of fire descend. If there's going to be prophecy and miracles, let it happen. Let it happen for the glory of no man, no woman, but one, Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit will always glorify the one whom we confess, whom we love. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. And I hope, I hope that you're ready to let yourself do more than just know about him. I hope you're ready to let the dry bones rattle. Lord Jesus Christ, we, your church, are expectant. And we wait like the church of the very first um, disciples. And God, without your spirit, we are, just, um, we are just lost. So we will wait for the power of God to descend on us and transform us. 
for the pleasure and the glory and the purposes of the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. There's this guy named Nicky and his wife Pippa, clearly, they're British, and he started Alpha. And he talked about the Spirit of God, and he helped people who don't understand it uh, see it in a clear way, and I love what he said. And I want to tell you this because I don't know what just happened in your house. I don't know if the wall shook. I don't know if some tears just fell out of your eyes. I don't know if you felt something you've never felt before. I don't know what happened. I just know this that the way Nikki explained it, it, explained it made perfect sense. He talked about when you get in a circle and you all hold hands and then two people on opposite sides of this little electrical crank hold the, the live ends, one positive, one negative, and then you crank that electricity up and it electrocutes, not mildly, electrocutes the whole circle of people because it creates a circuit, a current, right? And he said this, it's the same energy moving through all the people. But all the people have a different response. Some shriek, some are like laughing, some just kind of make weird sounds. Some people drop, they can't take it, they're blah, 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 and they just kind of, they melt, they, they don't like it. Some people are very uncomfortable. You're going to have different reactions. And I will say this, I'm a biblical Pentecostal, and your reaction Will be, um, will be according to how it moves through you. I don't know how you'll react to the Spirit of God. I don't know how you'll respond. Some people stand there and like, wow, this is weird, and they don't have a huge outward reaction, but the Spirit's still moving. Don't judge everything on the reaction. Don't judge it all on the reaction, but know this, that if we want the energy and the life of the church to be in the church, then you who are the church better be inviting the Holy Spirit of God to fill you. Fill me, Spirit of God. He will make you uncomfortable in your life. He will help you walk away from old practices. Remember, you take off those old practices and you put on the new, and day after day it is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, whose sole purpose is to reveal and clarify the work of Christ deep within us. He's our advocate, he's our counselor, and he's on the move. What's the response? The response we will have to the Spirit of God will glorify the one whom we confess. And the one in whose name I bless you with as you go today. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, man. Maybe you should just send us some of the stories of what happened. I'm excited to see what Pentecost means for you now. Grace and peace.